Karen Ross has crafted over the last couple of weeks. I had crafted this, and um, then I think it was Thursday, just as I'd finished writing and putting my PowerPoint together, got an email from Ross about what this sermon, this season, um, this series was all about, um, which is beautiful timing. And he was talking about kind of a bit of kind of creative response, and I could do really whatever I wanted. And it's like, great, I've just finished writing. Um, but he also said I had um, permission to get everyone involved, and I thought, great. So um, we've already had, I'm preaching on Psalm 8 tonight, we've already had the Psalm 8 from the message version um, as our call to worship opening the service, um, and Benita read the uh, King James version, um, but um, I decided I'm not going to read um, the NIV version, you are. Um, so Ross gave me permission to do this, um, so we're going to be um, all joining in together. Um, So the words are going to be up behind me. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds, and the animals of the wild, and the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea, all that swim in the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So we're looking at psalms. And psalms is a Greek word, it means songs. And the Hebrew name, Tehillim, means praises. This little book right in the middle of our Bible, is a worship manual of hymns. They're songs of pilgrimage, the songs of ascent we use when they were going up to the temple in Jerusalem. It's at the top of the hill, so they were songs of ascent. It's the songs of pilgrimage, songs of thanksgiving, songs of lament, grief and sadness, and songs of spiritual reflection. And the book of Psalms is our permission to be honest with God. There is joy and despair, thankfulness and anger, Hope and doubt and fear all to be found here. Rosalind Brown says, Psalms tell us loudly and clearly that nothing, nothing is beyond saying in God's presence. Nothing is beyond celebration or lament if God is in the conversation. We can let our defenses down before God because God always has the last word. Psalms is a template for being real with God through the light and darkness and every day of our journey, all of our seasons. And Psalm 8 is this little spiritual reflection, and it's pretty much the epitome of praise. It makes a really simple statement of who God is and who we are, which makes a beautifully lazy sermon structure. Who is God? Who are we? And what does that mean? So according to Psalm 8, who is God? Lord, our Lord, Yahweh, God who revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, God whose name means I am or I will be, the self-existent one, 
God whose personal name appears six and a half thousand times in the Hebrew scriptures. Every time you see Lord or God written in those little capital letters, that's God's personal name. The way we translate Yahweh only as the title Lord or God can distance us from the idea that God has an identity and a personality as well as a job title. God has a name. His name is Yahweh. Yahweh who created all things, who created humankind from the dust and breathed life into them and set humanity to care for creation. Yahweh is our Lord. And this Yahweh is our Adonai, our master. As a human, your Lord was the man who governed your household, built it, owned it, cares for it, sustains it. He's the controlling authority of food, equality, discipline, generosity, compassion, safety, justice, and righteousness. He's the giver of life, the giver of meaning and purpose, and the source of all things. God is our Adonai the Lord who governs the household of creation, the builder, owner, carer, sustainer, and controlling authority, the giver of life and meaning and purpose, the source of all things. Sometimes this doesn't click. Sometimes it clicks twice. It's going to be fun. God, our Lord, is majesty. How majestic is your name? He is powerful and great and mighty. God is distinct from creation. You have set your glory in the heavens. Majestic is your name. But God is separate from creation. But creation points to God. All heavens declare God's glory. And our little brains are completely overwhelmed when we look up at the heavens or down from a mountaintop or see a spectacular sunrise. Or even just watch a bee busily at work. Or listen to a tiny bird as it fills a space with song. There's something joyful about creation that fills us with awe. We can't put it into words. All our speakings and writings are merely finger-pointing at the moon. They point in the right direction but are incapable of being reality itself. And creation points to God merely as fingers pointing at the moon. They're pointing in the right direction, but only reveal a glimpse of the reality of God. And everything is bounded and bookended by God. Verse 1 and verse 9 repeat this phrase. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the truth of who God is. Yahweh, our life giver. Everything else is contained within. It all begins and ends with God. But it's not just the spectacular things that praise God. Also the little things like the crying of babies and the babble of children. Even the little and lowly things are enough to completely outdo any enemy of God. Do you remember this back from Game of Thrones season three? Fingers crossed for sound. The Game of Thrones with no nudity. 
that line, any man who must say, I am the king, is no true king. See, God doesn't need our clever words and polished arguments in his defense. All our words are merely fingers pointing at the moon. If I were to say God is not real, that does not affect the reality of God. But also when I say God is love, I am wrong. Because my understanding of the word God and the word love and even the word is, what does it mean to be if you are God? They're all wrong. Even I cannot begin to represent the reality of God with my words. This is the kind of God who is our creator. And this God is mindful of and cares for his creation and his creatures. He is in connection and in relationship within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and with creation. So what is humanity that this indescribable God beyond words is mindful of them? What are human beings that the God of all creation cares for them? When we think of the heavens, this is a shot for, I think, from Hubble. Each one of those is a galaxy made up of millions of stars. Each one of those stars might have planets. And that's just one bit. If you held a centimetre square up at your fingertips, that's how much sky there is in that photo. We think of the heavens and moons and stars, and we are so tiny and so limited in comparison. One paraphrase of Psalm 8 reads, On a starry night, with your glory splashed across the skies, I gaze into your infinite universe and I wonder, Who am I? Why do I matter? Why do you care about mere mortals? We humans are less than specks of dust in your universe. We have existed less than a second in the great clock of creation. Sometimes we can feel so small and so insignificant. I've used this image before. This is a photograph from the Cassini space probe, and it was the far side of Saturn, and the sun is the other side of Saturn. And we are that little blue dot. We are so small and so insignificant. That's within our solar system, let alone our galaxy. David says in this psalm, when I think about how big the heavens are, why does God care about us little humans? Yet God chose to love us and give us thought and wonder and adventure. So who are we? What is mankind that Yahweh is mindful of them? Human beings that God cares for them. Humans here are Enosh and Ben-Adam, man and the son of man, respectively. That's the non-gender neutral translation, but those are the words that are used right back in Genesis. Mankind and all humanity The children of the mud people, Ben Adams, the mud people made in Genesis 1, male and female, 
each carrying the image and likeness of God, crowned with glory and honor. Sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, C.S. Lewis wrote. Princes, princes and princesses, sons and daughters of the king. That is who we are. Just stop for a moment to consider that. Whatever you think about yourself, whatever the world might say about you, whatever labels or categories or descriptions you carry, God sees you in his image and likeness, crowned with glory and honor. And I really mean it. We're going to stop for a moment. Because apparently it's about Velcro and Teflon. Psychologists say that negative things stick in our brain like they do to Velcro, but positive things slide off like they do from Teflon. And we have to deliberately hold on to positive things for about 15 seconds before they stick. We have to be intentional about it. You know what, exactly what this is like. You can have one moment of negativity in a day, and that's what you're remembering when you go to bed at night. You can have 20 people say positive things to you and you remember the one negative comment. We have to be intentional about making the positive things stick. So we're going to give it time to stick. Whatever you think of yourself, whatever the world might say about you, whatever labels or categories or descriptions you carry, we are sons and daughters of the king, crowned with glory and honor. Sons and daughters of the king, crowned with glory and honor. Sons and daughters of the king, crowned with glory and honor. takes time for that kind of thing to stick. And we are made, according to David's, a little lower than the angels. Some versions you'll see little lower than the heavenly beings. In the original Hebrew, it says little lower than God. When this is quoted in Hebrews, it says for a little while lower than the angels. I have read all of the commentaries I can get my hands on, and I still have no idea what that's supposed to mean. Sometimes poetry just cannot be translated across languages and culture. But the point God is making is that we have a particular place. Lower than God's, the heavenly beings or the angels. But we have a place, and we have honor and glory like royalty. In all of creation, we have our place. Paraphrase I quoted earlier continues, Yet you choose us as your partners. You share the secrets of the universe with us. You give us a special place in your household. You trust us to look after the earth on your behalf. Not just the sheep and oxen, 
but also the wolves that, play, that prey on our domestic animals, the birds and the plants and even the creatures we have never seen in the depths of the sea. In all the vastness of the cosmos, we have a place. That place is the gift of being delegated power over creation. Again, referencing back to Genesis 1, in the order of creation, God created humanity in God's image and likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. David is quoting Genesis 1. We are made to have a place and a purpose. You were made for a place and a purpose. This little psalm celebrates God's glory, God's creation, God's care of his creation, and humanity's place and role in that creation, and the attributes of God that are given to humanity. And everything we are is bounded and bookended by God. All that we are and all that we are to do begins and ends with God. So what does that mean? Firstly, it means that there is purpose and order to creation. Even if right now it might not feel like there's a lot positive happening in the world, we can be sure that the arc of creation bends towards goodness. God has reconciled all things on heaven and the earth. on earth and the heavens, to himself. God is on our side. And secondly, it means it is good to be you. God saw the humanity that he had made in his image and likeness and declared it to be very good. It is good to be human. We weren't made to be heavenly beings like the angels, but earthly beings each with a place and purpose in material creation. Now, it's pretty obvious, a bit of a tangent, we have made a bit of a mess of this. The power and responsibility that God gave us to care for his creation hasn't been used in a sensible way. But I'm not going to spend this time talking about climate change and plastic pollution, not because I don't think that's important, because I do, but it's not the point of this psalm, and I'd be shoehorning a whole pile of shame into a hymn of praise to God. You'll find on the back of your outline, your newsletter, um, the details of a Christian view on climate change. Um, 15th of March, it's free at the university. Anybody can go. I'd really encourage you to go. Go and listen to uh, Dr. Anthony Harrowood to talk about it rather than listen to me now. It does matter because we are all part of creation. It matters to us and to our neighbours and to God. But our actions flow out of our hearts. So we start with our hearts and the rest follows. Get the who God is and who we are truths in place and our actions will inevitably line up. This psalm delights in the creation and meaning and function as expressed in Genesis 1. It's a Genesis 1 world that David is talking about, a Genesis 1 humanity. Who you are is defined by how God made you to be and not by anything that has happened since. The first and last condition of humanity is good. 
and the incarnation proves it. God could not have become human if to be human is to be evil. To be in the world is good. To be human is good. To be made of flesh is good. God the Son gave up his God nature to take on human nature and be made in our likeness, just as we are made in God's likeness. The reflection of God's self in human self in God's self. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully human, uniting the creator and creation, divine and matter, almighty and vulnerable and dependent, connected and in relationship with God and creation and others and self. Jesus called himself the son of man. Those Hebrew words, ben Adam, that we get from Genesis the bearer of the perfect image and likeness of God. It's hard to understand what it means to be made in the image and the likeness of a God that we can't see, a God that our words cannot describe. But we can understand a human that is seen and known, Jesus Christ. The incarnation takes a God beyond our words and gives him a face and a heart. One John begins... That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim. You can't love an abstract concept, but you can love a person. What is God like? What are the best words to describe the indescribable? John 14, anyone who has seen Jesus has seen the Father. And Jesus spent his ministry reconciling people, bringing the excluded back into relationship with God and others and creation, revealing their foundational identity as children of God and healing their disconnection, moving them and their community towards wholeness. God is reconciling all things to himself. God is on our side. The author to the letter of the Hebrews quotes this psalm and then says, We do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor, bringing many sons and daughters to glory, not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. What does this mean? We call ourselves fallen and broken and sinful, forgetting Jesus calls us brothers and sisters. We wallow in our ordinariness, forgetting that we're made just a little lower than the angels. We live as though we are disconnected from all around us, forgetting that we have a purpose and place in the order of creation, connected and in relationship with God and creation and others and self. We strive to earn our own dignity by stealing dignity from others, forgetting that to be human is to be crowned with glory and honor. Christ became human to remind us that we are made to reflect the image and likeness of God. And Jesus lived a life that taught us to see the honor of every human being and the honor of every human relationship. And he died to prove 
that vulnerability isn't weakness. And he was resurrected to show us that disconnection is not the end of the story. To show us the reality of hope, of resurrection and reconnectedness and reconciliation. To show us the reality of God's love and care and healing towards wholeness. How would tomorrow be different? How would you think about God, yourself, others, and our world? If your first thoughts on waking were my Lord God, who created and ordered everything that is, cares for me, and has crowned me with glory and honor. Then let that stick. My Lord God, who created and ordered everything that is, cares for me and has crowned me with glory and honor. How would tomorrow be different? Because that, those words, that is who God is. And that is who you are. This is our God. Lord God, wonder worker, glory placer, heaven shaper, moon spinner, star namer, world creator, people maker, human lover, glory crowner, honor giver, power granter, life entruster, partner maker, Lord God, wonder worker.